All right. Well, hey, we are going back into our vision series for this year. So we've got our fall vision series. We're calling Saul to Paul, a Good Hope Church vision series. And so basically what we're doing is we're going over our vision statement and we are kind of mapping that on to the life of a young man named Saul. He was an angry young man and he becomes Paul the Apostle. So we're looking at his life and our vision statement. So let's go over the vision statement again, and we'll get into some new material. So here's the vision statement. we got reach up, rise up, reach out, and we got hand motions for the vision statement. The only reason I do hand motions is because they're foolish and dumb, and it doesn't mean anything, and if we can work together on something foolish and dumb that doesn't mean anything, maybe God will trust us in something more important than that. So basically, you know, reach up. A real relationship with the living God is available to you. So our hand motions are just like this. It's like a three-year-old wanting his dad to pick him up, you know, reach up. And then rise up. A real relationship with the living God will change you. Simple, just rise up and then reach out, you know, reach out. A real relationship with the living God is a call to action. We are called to reach out and intervene in this world. So Reach up, rise up, reach out. This is our vision statement. It is how we evaluate if as a church we're on track because it should be about connecting with God, growing in our faith, and making a difference in this world. That's what we're all about. We're not about getting hung up on side issues. We're not about, you know, any of that other stuff. We want to make sure we're about connecting with God, you know, either to start that connection which we call getting saved, which is where you you turn to God. You ask for forgiveness and a new life, and we are forgiven through what Christ did for us on the cross. He paid the price that we could be redeemed and brought into a new life. We start that relationship with God, and then we continue that relationship with God. We abide in the vine. We, We reach up. We start a relationship with God, and we maintain that relationship with God. Then rise up. A real relationship with the living God will change you. You know, we don't stay the same, but we grow. We grow out of the garbage that's held us back our whole lives into who God truly created us to be. So we want to rise up and then reach out. I really believe that your life actually matters. You know what I mean? Like that you can actually make a difference. And, uh, you know, you don't want to take that too far. Like everything in the world is up to me. Like, that's not what I meant. I think you can make a real difference, but, you know, everything in the world isn't up to you. Or, you know, some people get into that weird religious stuff like, well, God's going to do everything and I'm my life is completely pointless and worthless, uh, but we'll pretend it isn't. Like, no, don't get into some weird theology. Your life actually matters. There are things you can do to make a difference in this world. So let's go ahead and do them. A real relationship with the living God is a call to action. That's reach out. So I'm going to ask you, of course, I can't see you, but let's do the hand motions together. Let's see if you can submit to... A dumb, embarrassing thing like doing hand motions to a video, and then maybe God will use us together to do some things that are more important, like maybe help Pakistan or something. So let's do. I'll demonstrate it, and I'll ask you to do it. So we got reach up, rise up, and reach out. All right, now you do it with me. Reach up, rise up, and reach out. Okay, I'm I'm by faith. I'm believing God that you did that. Now, hallelujah. Let's work together for bigger things. Okay, so that's the vision statement. Uh, Let's go to Acts 8, 1 through 3. That's at the end of the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr. And Saul is a young man. He's not actually doing the stoning, but he's guarding the coats of the people who are stoning him. So from what we read last time, 8, 1 through 3. 
And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So Saul gets some positive affirmation by cheering for the death of Stephen. And now he's like, okay, I'm going to be part of this. I'm going to really, you know, do my part by dragging people to prison. And so that's what he's doing. Now, Saul here, you know, clearly wrong, dragging men and women off to prison and approving of uh, Stephen's death. This is not good. He was wrong, but I believe Saul was honest. I believe he had deep convictions and he was trying to do right. He was trying to do right by God. And so this is what he was doing. He thought Jesus was a quack. He thought the way or Christianity was a heresy. And so he's trying to straighten this out. I do believe he thought he was doing right by God as he is arresting these people, hauling them to prison. You know, I believe he was actually trying to do the right thing. Have you ever found out you were wrong? You know, you thought you were right. You felt very justified in where you were at. And then you find out you're wrong. This is something that's going to happen to young Saul. But let me tell you, how you handle that is going to change the trajectory of your life. When you find out that you're wrong, if you humbly accept that and then adjust to the truth, your life is going to be going in the right direction, in a good trajectory. If you find out that you're wrong, but then you talk yourself into, well, I never was wrong, that actually wasn't wrong, and you just double down on your on your misunderstandings and all of that stuff, and then you go this way, then you're going to put yourself in a bad trajectory. So when you find out that you're wrong, you always want to go ahead and grab hold of the truth. So this is very important. Seek the truth even when you find out you're wrong and then go with the truth. So Saul is continuing on this. We'll go to chapter 9, and he is going to all of a sudden have a really interesting experience, but he was on a mission. He was a driven guy, and let's find out how this goes. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. So he's going to Damascus to imprison people who belong to the way. And the way, by the way, is the way uh, is a reference to Christianity, those who follow Jesus. It was called the way before it was called, you know, Christianity. So it was the way, and he's going to take these people as prisoners. And then this light from heaven flashes around him. We pick it up verse 4 again. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? asked Saul. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. This is an incredible interaction between Jesus and Saul. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. 
Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So what an incredible interaction. Last time we talked about, you know, that reach up, having that connection with God and how Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, you know, invites us to ask and seek and knock. You know, we knock on the door. The promise is the door will be opened. Then we looked into the book of Revelation and how Jesus stands at the door and knocks. You know, maybe uh, we've shut the Lord out and we need to open the door to the Lord. But either way, if, if we need to knock and initiate that conversation with the Lord, or if we need to stop shutting the Lord out of our lives and let him in, you know, we want to open that door. We want that door to be opened. Here, uh, with Saul, Jesus just kicks down the door. You know, this isn't Saul seeking God. You know, he knew he already knows. He's sure he's 100% justified in everything he's doing. He doesn't need to seek God and whether or not he's doing the right thing. And he's not opening the door. He's not knocking on anything. He's just going, but Jesus just knocks down the door. That's extraordinarily rare. It's extraordinarily rare for God to basically just take somebody over and say, hey, you know, I'm Jesus and go to the city. I'll tell you what you need to do. Like he just was taken. I believe this is God's response to the honesty of Saul, that he was really trying to do the right thing, but he was really very much doing the wrong thing. And so God saw that this was someone he could use. And so he intervenes in Saul's life. Jesus just kicks down the door. But again, this is a pretty short interaction. I mean, how long would that take? You know, verses three through six here, you know, it takes us only a few seconds to read. How long was this interaction from the blinding light? He falls on the ground. Why do you persecute me? Who are you? I'm Jesus. Now go in the city. Like, is this a 15 second interaction? You know, it's a very short interaction from what we see here. Maybe there's things that weren't written down, but uh, this is a, a short interaction, but it is a powerful, life changing experience for Saul, because a real relationship with the living God will change you. Saul didn't know that he had a relationship with religion that was leading him astray. He thought he had a real relationship with God. Here he gets a taste of a real relationship with God and that that real relationship is going to change him. So the first change is that he is traumatized. I mean, it's not a necessarily a positive change, but sometimes we need to be redirected, and that can be a difficult process. Look at what happens to him, verse 9. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Why, why did he not eat or drink anything? Because he is traumatized. Not only is he blinded, which is terrible, but also he realizes that his whole truth has been wrong. You know, he finds out he's wrong, and he was deeply motivated to do things based on convictions that were wrong. And this is just a, a difficult thing. His reality was shaken. He was wrong. He was really wrong. And so he's processing this. You know, maybe Stephen was a good guy, and I was super happy that they murdered him in front of me, and I'm cheering for it. What kind of person cheers for the death of an innocent? Like, what kind of person hauls innocent people to prison to be in the environment where Stephen was murdered. You know, like, who does that? And he's processing all of this, and his, his heart is broken. 
And so for three days, he does not eat or drink anything. He's blind. Now we see here he prays, uh, he hears from God, but he has this short interaction with the Lord that changes everything. And I do think it's interesting to note that, you know, God didn't fix it right away. For three days, he's blind. He didn't eat or drink anything. He's processing. He's having this battle. And God didn't just come in and fix it in 15 minutes. Well, I see that you really understand now. Okay, bloop, everything is good. For three days, he is in this terrible condition. He's praying, but he is not eating or drinking. He's just devastated. And then after those three days, the Lord sends a nobody to go minister to Saul. Really interesting. So let's read that. Acts 9, uh, now we read 10 through 19. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer from my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. So this, how, how bad of a guy was Saul that Ananias would argue with a vision from God? Ananias, yes, Lord, I want you to go talk to Saul. Uh... Are you sure? <laughs> he, he's kind of a rough character. Like, how bad would Saul have to be for Ananias to argue with an open vision from God? You know, like, that's why I think we get the still small voice. You know, you just sort of have an impression in your heart is because we'll argue with that impression. But arguing with a vision from God is a whole nother thing. And Ananias here is arguing with a vision from God. But he does turn on this. You know, he does submit submit to God's plan and he goes and he prays for Saul. And I love what it says here in verse 17. You know, placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul. He calls him brother. So this is a powerful thing that I don't know that in our culture we can really see the significance of. But the Lord has convinced him, I've chosen this Saul. He needs your help. I've shown him in a vision that somebody named Ananias from verse 12 is going to come and pray for him. Uh, so it's you. And he goes, he catches the heart of God, and he calls him Brother Saul. You're my brother. Let's pray. Praise for him. Scales, something like scales fall off his eyes. He can see. He gets baptized. They eat some food together. It's a beautiful moment. Let me tell you, God calls people to step in and help other people. Who does God call to step in and help other people? Ananias was a nobody. 
He's never mentioned before this in the Bible, and he's never mentioned after this except to reference this. He's nobody. He's not the Ananias from Ananias and Sapphira. He's not the chief priest Ananias that's later on. I mean, this is just a guy, a disciple in Damascus, that's not mentioned before. He's not mentioned after. He's nobody important. But God calls him to step in and be the comfort and the minister from the Lord to young Saul, to pray over him, invite him into the family, see him healed and baptized. Peter wasn't sent. John wasn't sent. James wasn't sent. It was Ananias, some nobody. You know, who are you to step in and help somebody else? Well, if you're a nobody like Ananias, God can use you to make a difference. And, you know, from a pastor's perspective, I'm pretty much tapped out in how busy I am. If people only look to the leaders to do things, it's just simply not going to work. God has people for you to intervene in their lives and to bring the good things of God into their life, just like Ananias. If you're a nobody like Ananias and you'll submit to God's plan, he'll use you to make a difference for other people. So God calls people to step in and help other people. Ananias helped Saul. So did Barnabas. Let's read Acts 9, 26 through 30. Barnabas helps him out. So we're skipping down in the chapter a little bit. When he, that is Saul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. They thought he was pretending so that he could catch him. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So this is actually the second time in the chapter people are trying to kill young Saul and people help him out. So Ananias helps him out, Barnabas helps him out, the group helps him out. The whole thing I'm trying to say here is this rise up. You know, a real relationship with the living God will change you. That's actually a group effort. It's not just you and God. It's you and God and the people of God helping each other. Iron sharpening iron, us building each other up, us strengthening each other. We need help from others and we need to help other people. You know, you changing will involve relationships with other people where you receive both help and correction. If you're going to grow, if you're going to rise up, that's going to involve relationships with other people where you receive both help and correction from others. So how do you react when you realize you're wrong? If you do that wisely, it'll put you on a good trajectory. If you do that foolishly, It'll put you on a bad trajectory. We want to respond well to finding out that we're wrong. All right. Then reach out, a call to action. You know, Saul here, he didn't need some vision statement to be stirred to action. He knew he had things to fix. He knew he had work to do. He knew that there was a significance to his life that he needed to go forward and do things. He had this assumption, of course, ahead of time where he's, you know, like, it's up to me to eradicate the way, you know, he, he had a sense of my life matters. And of course, Jesus believes his life matters. He's a chosen instrument to bring the message to the Gentiles and, you know, to even to Israel. Like, this is a powerful, powerful thing. So he doesn't need 
to be told that his life matters and that there's things for him to do, he sees it right away. And I wish everyone could see that, but not everybody does. So we're going to go ahead and preach that your relationship with the living God is a call to action. What does this young Saul do? Back to verse 20 in chapter 9 of Acts. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't, it the, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name, on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. So he's using his knowledge of the Old Testament to pull in prophecies and say, it's this guy. So, you know, Saul here, he does a 180. Instead of persecuting the way, now he's preaching the way. Instead of persecuting Jesus, now he's, you know, he's going after Jesus and he's proclaiming Jesus and he will be persecuted for Jesus very quickly. You know, Saul got after it. You know, he jumped in there. Now there's also great evidence from Galatians chapter 1 that Saul took like a three-year period of time to kind of learn and grow in Christ before he really jumped into significant ministry. But right away in Damascus, he's like, I was wrong. I was wrong. Jesus is the son of God. You need to put your faith in Jesus. I was wrong. He does that right away. Now we see Saul's heart here in Acts 9 right away. He's preaching Jesus. And he describes that same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll read verses 19 through 23. We see here the heart of Saul when he is Paul the Apostle. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. These are the words of this Saul as he turns into Paul the Apostle. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those, who, uh, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. So, a real relationship with the living God is a call to action. Saul, who becomes Paul the Apostle, he naturally understands that, that he can be winsome for Christ, that he can, instead of persecuting people for following Jesus, he can promote Jesus, and that this will have an impact on people's lives. So he goes after it. He runs after it. A real relationship with the living God is a call to action. It's available to you. It will change you. And it's a call to action. Your life actually matters. You can make a difference if, like Ananias, you follow the direction of God. And I want you, because I think people can run into a problem with this call to action thing. They get nervous. I want you to be fully motivated to bear fruit for the kingdom of God and to be fully at peace in your heart and your mind. This is what I want for you. Notice 1 Corinthians 9.23 that we just read. Why does Paul become, you know, Saul, the Apostle Paul? You know, he got his name changed in there somewhere. Why does he do this, become all things to all people, so that by all possible means he might save some? Why does he do this? 
I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. He sees it as sharing in the blessings of the gospel. What didn't he say? He did not say, I do this to earn my way. He did not say, I do this to make up for all the garbage I did in the past. He does not say, I do this to escape judgment and hellfire. But he says, I do this to share in the blessings of the gospel. I want you to be fully made it, fully motivated to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. And I want you to be fully at peace in your heart and your mind. If you're fully motivated, but you're not at peace, it can be a yucky thing. I remember uh, as a kid, you know, as I was going through doing this sermon prep and everything, as a kid, I was thinking about my motivations for things. And, uh, you know, I really believe that my, my main underlying motivation for pretty much everything, you know, not to make it too simplistic or take it too far, but I would say my, my primary motivation for life was fear of failure. I just didn't want to fail. I didn't really have a positive motivation. I had a negative motivation, fear of failure. I wasn't excited about opportunities as much as I didn't want to fail. So this is a negative motivation. And I think if we have a negative motivation in our service to God, you know, a fear of failure or a fear of judgment or all these sorts of things, you know, we want to get to the place where we have our relationship with God, we're forgiven and set free, and now we walk with God. And we, don't, we can be at peace in our hearts and our minds, but we want to grab hold of the opportunities to be fully motivated to share in the blessings of the gospel. Like, let's go ahead and grab hold of that. If you only are motivated, it might be a negative motivation. But people who are only at peace in their hearts and their minds may lose all their motivation to do anything. Like, I'm good just the way I am, you know? Like, I'm just going to do nothing. You know, I'm not going to bear fruit for nothing because I'm good, you know? Let's have both. Fully motivated. Let's go bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Let's drive this thing as hard as we can. Let's go in a healthy way. And let's be at peace in our hearts and our minds. We're good with God. We can grab hold of this with peace and joy and love. And I want you to have both of those. I want you to be fully motivated and fully at peace. And I believe that's what God wants for you as well. God does not want a life for you that's motivated by fear of failure or by those negative motivations. God also doesn't want you slipping into complacency. Eh, It's all good. It's all fine. He wants you fully motivated and fully at peace with him and with who you are. So let's grab hold of that. All right, let's uh, start landing the plane. I got one more verse to read, but let's just hit the vision statement again. And I want you to evaluate this in your life. You know, and we didn't come up with some new concept with our vision statement. You know, this is, this is nothing new. I'm just trying to package it in a way that makes sense to people. But, you know, reach up. A real relationship with the living God is available to you. I hope you believe that. And you can see that When Saul had a relationship with religion, it drove him into hurting people. But when he got a relationship with Jesus, it drove him to serve people and to be a blessing to people. A lot of people didn't like him because of that, but his motivations were pure and he was on God's side. So you can have that real relationship. Do not substitute a relationship with religion, uh, theological ideas, you know, that sort of a thing behaviors and memory verses, don't substitute a real relationship with the living God with those other things. Let's go ahead and grab a hold of it. 
then rise up. A real relationship with the living God will change you. And what that means is there's there's going to be some things in here that you need to get rid of. There's darkness in all of our hearts that we need to get free from so that we can grab hold of the things that God has for us. Angry Saul, who's seeing that all these horrible people are doing all this stuff wrong and we need to kill them and take them to prison and laugh over their plight now because they're so bad. He saw what was wrong through the intervention of the Lord and he was changed. And he humbled himself and he adjusted to being wrong by grabbing hold of the truth. Then reach out a real relationship with the living God is a call to action. Saul understood that from day one. There's work to be done. Let's go do it. Hope you can grab hold of those things in your life and that we as Good Hope Church can grab hold of this as an organization to connect with God, grow in our faith, and make a difference in this world. Years ago, I went to a church service. Uh, It was a Sunday night service. I was on vacation in Florida. You know, sometimes I go to services by myself and let the family you know, hang out at the pool or whatever, and I'd go to church. And so I went to this church on a Sunday night, and um, the pastor was maybe 35. He seemed like a pretty high caliber leader. And uh, he was having a bit of a cathartic moment uh, on that Sunday night service. And he was talking about when he entered ministry that he wanted to change the world, and that he realized now, uh, after some years in ministry, that that wasn't going to happen. And he seemed a bit pained by that. But he said, I might not be able to change the whole world, but I can change my world. I can be part of the change in my spheres, in my circles, in the people that I interact with. He says, I can be part of change for that. And so he was readjusting his expectations of God's plan for his life to not change the whole world, but to make a difference here, make a difference here. Maybe someone like Ananias, who makes a difference for Saul. Praise for him sees a miracle, and sees Saul grow into someone completely different. We might not be able to change the whole world or our culture, but what I want for Good Hope Church is that we would be an oasis, that we would be a place where people know God, where people have a growth mindset. They're not satisfied with the past, but they're also at peace with who they are as they go through that growth process and where they believe that, hey, we can make a real difference in this world, fully motivated but fully at peace in our hearts and minds at the same time. Like, let's be an oasis where that's the prevailing mentality, a connection with God that is, you know, puts us on a growth track where we can really make a difference. And let's, let's stand in that. Let's be an oasis. Let's do our part. Even if we can't change the whole culture, let's be an oasis. I want to close today with Acts 9.31. And Acts 9.31 says this, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So you notice when the persecution broke out, that's when Saul was motivated to go go get people. Then when Saul is converted, the church enjoys a time of peace. This Saul was a bad guy, you know, uh, and it, his conversion changed a lot of things. And I want us to pray to be able to do that as we grab hold of a relationship with God as we grow in the Lord, as we seek to make a difference, that we would be part of bringing times of peace and strength in our circles, 
in our church, in our families, and wherever we have a sphere of influence, if we could be part of bringing peace and strength in Christ to our circles, I think that would be awesome. So let's pray to be able to do that for Good Hope Church and to be able to reach out into this world and share that. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, the things we can learn by looking at the life of Saul, who becomes the Apostle Paul. How he went from a violent, uh, angry person to someone who honestly realized that he was wrong and made the adjustment, humbled himself, and began to walk with you. And when he did that, you know, persecution turned to peace. And Lord, we might, we might not be able to do that on a large scale. But Lord, let us do that in our spheres of influence. Let us realize when we're wrong and let us grab hold of your goodness. Help us to bring peace and strength into our circles. Lord, I pray that you would do that for Good Hope Church, that as we individually pray and stay connected with you, growing in our faith and seeking to make a difference, encouraging and strengthening one another as we go, Lord, that this would be an oasis where we're encouraged by your spirit and living for you. So Lord, help us to grab hold of that and help us to share that with this world when we have the opportunity. We've got to live it out first, but when we're living it out, we can share that beautiful thing with others and make a difference. So Father, I pray you'd guide us in this. You'd give us wisdom and help us to grab hold of the fullness of the blessings that come from your gospel. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.